I have this habit that whenever I eat Cheerios, I can't just eat them normally. I have this very particular way of eating them. I'll take a bite, and then I'll tap the rest of the cereal down into the milk with my spoon. So bite, tap, tap, tap. Right. Do any of you do that? Raise your hand. All right, I am not alone. Could you tell my wife I'm not weird? In fact, I never even noticed that I did it until right after I married Christina, and one day she was just staring at me, and she said, that is the dumbest way to eat cereal ever. I am not even aware I do it. It's just this unconscious habit. And I only do it with Cheerios and Rice Krispies. Grape nuts don't need tapping. <laughs> this spring, I'm talking about how we invigorate our spiritual lives by following Jesus with four H's. Our head, heart, hands, and habits. And how those four need to be in balance. And today, I want to talk about habits. Those things we do that become second nature because we do them so much. And just as there are habits in life that are either destructive, like smoking, or constructive, like jogging, though that's a matter of opinion, I suppose, there are spiritual habits that can give our lives spiritual energy and help Jesus become more real. And traditionally, those things have been called the spiritual disciplines. Things like fasting and praying, worship, service, tithing, Disciplines that make our faith come alive. And I think all of us want that. We, we want a faith that has energy. We want Jesus to seem real to us. We want to be free of the sin and the brokenness that weighs us down. The anger, the lust, the materialism, all of those things. And have a spiritual life that has a lot of energy and excitement. And part of the way we get there is through these spiritual disciplines. Now, if you're like me, you just stop listening to this sermon. Actually, I stopped a while back, but <laughs> that word discipline conjures up all sorts of negative feelings. You see, especially for my generation, you see, I was raised in the groovy 70s where I was taught that if it feels good, do it. I'm okay. You're okay. Always wear a green leisure suit. Blow your hair back with a blow dryer, right? That's what I was raised with. And discipline was a dirty word for uptight, mean people, not for feeling groovy people like me. But one of the things that I have had to learn painfully in my life is that discipline is actually liberating. Discipline is liberating. It's like a kite. If it's not tied to a string and if, not, if someone's not holding on to it, then that kite just gets blown around by the wind, tangled up in trees, crashes to the ground. But if someone is hanging on to that kite, it can soar, it can dive, it can fly, it's free. And it's the same with us. The disciplines we engage in life, the habits that hold on to us, can actually set us free. I always give couples with young children the same advice. Put the kids to bed early and go to bed at the same time every night together. And a lot of times they'll object, well, you don't understand. We have to stay up late. We've got a lot of work to do, emails to return. And I always say, yeah, 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 whatever. Just do it. Only more pastorly than that. And they almost always come back later and say, you're right. It worked. Of course. The kids aren't grumpy. They've got enough sleep. The couple gets time to connect. Discipline is liberating. The text we read today says, be strong in the grace of Jesus, and then gives three analogies, the athlete, the soldier, and the farmer. All three of those require discipline. And that discipline is liberating. The disciplined athlete 
can defy the laws of physics by how fast they run, how far they can jump. They're free. And what got them there was their discipline, practicing every day. But it wasn't just discipline alone. They had help. The athlete, does, it's not just the discipline, but the athlete also has a coach. And it's the same with us Christians. Discipline alone will not make us spiritually whole people. This isn't about wumping up a lot of willpower. That never works. We need Jesus. Only Jesus can make us spiritually whole. But that doesn't mean that we just sort of lay around and wait for Jesus to zap us. You know, poof, you're whole. Thanks. You know, it takes both our discipline and Jesus working in our lives as we cooperate with him. And the way we cooperate with him is through our spiritual habits. It's like a farmer. The farmer can't make the grain grow, but he can do things that create the conditions for growth. He can plant them, till the soil, water them. It's the same with us. We can't grow spiritually on our own. We need Jesus to do that, but our spiritual habits create the conditions for growth. They're God's way of getting us in the ground so we can grow spiritually. And there are a lot of habits, a lot of spiritual habits to talk about. I'm going to focus on three. Scripture, prayer, and celebration. The first is this. Read the Bible. I say this almost every week. The Bible is a book that is filled with information about how to live the abundant, spirit-filled life. Read it. Read it in an easy translation like the NIV. Read a study Bible with notes so that you can kind of see what's going on. Concentrate on Matthew through Romans, life of Christ. But read Scripture. It can change you. Second habit that gives us spiritual energy is prayer. You know, prayer is simply just having a conversation with God. It's telling him what's on your mind, thanking him for what he's done for you, confessing the ways that you've run away from him, and then listening to see if he has anything to say to you. Which sounds great, right? Get to talk to the creator of the universe. That's pretty cool. But if you're anything like me, prayer can sometimes be hard. Prayer feels more like a cell phone call. You know, occasionally you get a good connection, but more often than not, the call gets dropped. Especially on Northeast 8th Street. Ever notice that? If prayer is a conversation with God, then why doesn't he talk back? Why does my mind wander? These are the questions that I struggle with. I don't know about you. You know, it's not as if because I'm a pastor, I always have five bars on my connection with God. You know, it's not as if every time I pray, there's this halo of light around me with angels singing in the background. As my wife says, quiet children, daddy's about to levitate. That's not how it is. Half the time I, I don't know what to say, I'm bored, my mind wanders. But every once in a while, God breaks through and I feel incredibly close to him when I pray. But that wouldn't happen unless I put myself in the position to hear from him regularly. So pray. One of the things I do to make prayer easier is I'll just imagine Jesus sitting right next to me and I'll just talk normally. Or instead of fighting it, I'll just let my mind wander and occasionally look over and say, are you getting this, Lord? Because a wandering mind can be prayer too, if you just give it to Jesus. I do a lot of short prayers throughout the day. Lord, help me with this, please. Thank you for that. Sometimes praying with other people helps us learn how to pray. There's a group of people that meets in my office every Monday night at 7.30. And we get together, we pray for about an hour. It is one of the highlights of my week. Now, you might think an hour of prayer is the highlight of your week. You need to get out more, Pastor. But I always feel so much better when we're done, sort of 
cleansed and at peace. Come and join us anytime you want. Pray. And then listen for God to speak. Learn how to recognize the way he talks to you. You know, I've only heard God speak to me in anything like an audible voice once in my whole life, and that's when he told me to come here. But over the years, I have learned to recognize the ways that he normally talks to me. It's in thoughts that are like my thoughts, but moving more quickly across the surface of my mind. Like my thoughts, but lighter. Or sometimes a scripture verse will come to mind, and I know that's God. And let me tell you, when, the God, when you know that the God of the universe is talking to you, that is a rush. It's pretty cool. Read scripture. Pray. And the last one I want to look at is celebrate. That's right. Celebration is a spiritual discipline. Did you know that in the Bible, God commanded Israel to celebrate six feasts and only one fast a year? That's a six to one ratio. Pretty cool, huh? In the story of the prodigal son, when the prodigal son returns home, what does the father who represents God, what does he do? He throws a party. Listen to this command from the Bible. Spend the money for whatever you wish. Oxen, sheep, wine, strong drink, or whatever you desire. And you shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your household rejoicing together. Church just got a lot more interesting, didn't it? (laughs) Now, obviously, God is not saying go get drunk or be materialistic. Those things lead to spiritual death. But it's really clear that God's not your Aunt Tilly either, stamping out fun wherever you can find it. Maybe your Aunt Tilly didn't do that, but... God likes a party. Because when we celebrate, we are connecting to the good things in life, reminding ourselves of God's goodness. And there's always something to be thankful for, at bare minimum, the fact that the God of the universe loves you. Celebrate. Invite people over and have a feast, literally. Declare a joy day. Do things that connect you to God and give you joy. Only be with people that day who give you joy. Tell everyone else, I can't be with you today. This is my joy day. They'll understand. In our house, our kids get chocolate milk every Sunday, all day long. Because Sunday is the day that we celebrate the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. And that makes us happy, like chocolate milk. Scripture, prayer, celebrating. Those are just three spiritual habits that can give us energy and joy. There's a lot more. The little blue 4-H booklet, it's in the back. If you didn't get one, it talks all about all the others. There are things like worship, which you're doing. It connects us to Jesus. Giving money, tithing, which shows us that God always provides. Service makes God more real to us because we see him work. Did you know that research shows that Christian kids who serve in some kind of ministry with their parents are far more likely to remain Christian when they're adults than kids who don't. There's a good reason to sign up for the workday at Stevenson on August 13th and bring the kids. It'll make your faith more real. All of these habits energize our spiritual lives. Now, as I've been saying in each one of these 4-H sermons, we have to do this in balance with the other three H's. If all we do is habits, we become legalistic, self-righteous, irritating people. All rules, no life. But in balance, with head, heart, and hands, our spiritual habits can energize us. Did you know that Pope John Paul II would spend up to seven hours a day in prayer? I'd say he was a pretty spiritually energized guy. Pretty effective, too. I mean, 
mobilized thousands into mission, reinvigorated the church, helped bring down the Berlin Wall. Too bad he wasted so much time praying, right? You see, our spiritual habits can give us a lot of spiritual energy and we can be very effective. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, spiritual disciplines, who's he kidding? That sounds hard. It seems boring. I don't have enough time. Easy for him to say he's a pastor. He has to be holy. That's what we pay him for. Besides, he has to do something with those other six days a week when he's not working. Right? Right. Because here's the typical day in my house. Christina and I get up before dawn feeling refreshed because unlike non-pastors, we've been dreaming about important things, heavenly things. We spend hours in prayer by ourselves and then together as a couple. And then we wake up our three children who look at us with sweet affection and say, we love you, mommy and daddy. Now, please, can we pray to Jesus, please? And then as a family, we read the Bible in the King James Version. Which my children understand because they're pastor's kids. It's a spiritual thing. You wouldn't get it. And then Donna Reed, like my wife, sachets into the kitchen and we break our holy fast with a bacon and eggs breakfast and homemade marmalade. That's my day. Not. It's not good morning, Lord. It's good Lord. It's morning. And the kids are crying and I'm late and it's off we go. I have had to make a choice to make these habits a part of my life so that I can know Jesus better and be more spiritually energized. And I want to encourage you to do the same. Psychologists tell us it takes about 30 days for something to become a habit. So find a way to work at least one or two of these into your routine for the next 30 days. Don't try to do all of them, just, you know, baby steps. And not in a burdensome way that's just about following rules. That doesn't bring life to anybody. But in a way that connects you to Jesus, gives you energy, gives you joy. Read scripture and pray, even for just 10 minutes a day. Find a way to work it into your daily routine that fits. Carry a Bible in your car and stop a few blocks before you get to work in the morning or a few blocks before you get home and just spend a few minutes reading scripture. My wife reads the Bible during breakfast and prays in the shower because she's always got these kids around her. Make it fun. Bring a cup of coffee or whatever makes it fun for you. For me, I grab a latte every morning, go to a spot on Lake Washington that's on my way to work, and I spend about 30 minutes reading the Bible and praying in my car. I do it almost every day. It's just a habit. Now, does God thunder from the heavens every time I do it? Am I just blown away by the holiness of the experience? No. Most of the time, my mind wanders. I can't concentrate. I'm anxious to get on with my day. But if I didn't do it, I'd miss it. It's like eating. I can't remember most of the meals I've ever had, but if I hadn't eaten them, I would have died. Our spiritual lives have a cumulative effect. We do them every day like eating, and over time, they nurture us and they help us grow. And then, every so often, God breaks through. A few months ago, I was having a a hard couple of weeks I was dealing with some conflict here in the church, had a number of big decisions, wasn't sure what to do with them. I was massively overscheduled, and I was feeling a little discouraged and wondering who thought it was a good idea to make me senior pastor of anything. Now, don't panic. I'm not falling apart. Oh, the pastor's freaking out. No, the pastor's okay. I got over it. It's all fine. I'm all right. But on that particular day, feeling kind of discouraged. It happens, even to pastors. 
So I did what I normally do. I got my latte, drove to the lake, read scripture, and prayed. That day I was reading about King David in the Bible and all the challenges he faced as a leader and the times that he got discouraged. And I started to think, wow, if even King David could get discouraged and God could use him, well, then maybe it's all right for me. And then I started to pray. And as I did, I had one of those thoughts, like my thoughts, but moving more quickly across my mind, and I knew it was God. And it said, Scott, have I ever let you down? And I said, no, not yet. I'm very honest with God. And then no more thoughts for about 10 minutes, and I figured I was being punished for being rude. But then suddenly... I had this memory of walking through the university district 24 years ago, having a panic attack, and wandering into University Presbyterian Church and hearing a man named Steve Hayner teach scripture like I'd never heard it taught before. And then I got another memory of standing in a phone booth outside Menlo Park Church, crying at one in the morning because I was going through a brutal divorce. And then another memory, five years later, of preaching in the pulpit that was only 100 yards from that very same phone booth. And then another memory of meeting Christina, And then some faces came to mind, students from my college ministry who I loved a lot. And then some of your faces, people from this congregation who have loved me and helped me and who I love very, very much. And then finally, the image of this sanctuary and this podium from which I preach. One image right after the other, really quickly, sort of like a near-death experience, actually. And I said out loud, God, across the long arc of my life, you have always been faithful. And I will trust you now. And in spite of what I said last week about being from eastern Washington and having no feelings, I got kind of choked up, but only just a little. (laughs) Kept it together. And I came into the office so excited, so happy, so glad that I was the pastor of First Presbyterian Church of Bellevue. Now, I can't remember what those problems were that were getting me down. I mean, I, I think I probably gave them to Dana and she fixed them. But I'm going to remember that prayer time for a long time. Now, that doesn't happen every single time I pray, but just one of those will hold me for years. And it wouldn't have happened unless I'd been in the habit of reading Scripture so God could bring those verses to mind, unless I'd been in the habit of praying every day so that I'd learn to recognize His voice, unless I'd been in the habit of going to worship and tithing and celebrating and serving and all the rest, and unless I'd been in the habit of doing those things for years... My spiritual habits prepared me to hear God when he spoke and when I needed it. I remember when I was learning how to ride a bike, my mom would say, don't think about it, just pedal and you'll stay up. So I'd pedal as fast as I could and she'd run behind the bike and hold on to it to keep it steady. And I'd always say, don't let go, don't let go. Until one day I looked back and realized she'd let go. And I was on my own. But I was also free. Free to go to places I'd never been before. Free to move faster than I'd ever moved in my life. And that's how it is with spiritual habits. At first they feel awkward, like we don't quite know how to do them. But eventually, like riding a bike, they become second nature, muscle memory. And yeah, we'll be wobbly at first, just as in learning how to ride a bike. But Jesus is there to hold on to us. And the more we practice, the better we become until they're just a part of us. And we're free to ride as fast as we can and go as far as we can go. And that's when all the fun begins.